Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everyone, welcome to the 323rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Tyler W. Small. I owe you an email, Tyler. I'm going to send it right now. You'll probably get it before this episode even comes out. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Devin Das on the show. Devin's got two films coming out simultaneously. One, Keeping Company, which is a dark horror comedy that's available on VOD across all the places that you normally watch movies. And then he's also got another film called Wes Schlagenhoff is Dying that is premiering at Tribeca this week. But yeah, Keeping Company is really fun. They have a, a really fun cast. Mary Holland, a lot of cool people. As I mentioned in the interview, Ahmed Barucha, Maureen's brother. Maureen yeah. Barucha, regular listeners will recognize her name. She's on the show all the time. Lilan Bowden. It's a whole UCB reunion in that movie. The Murderer's Row. Wes Schlagenhoff also has a great cast. Aparna Nancharla, Darcy Carden, and Mr. Indie Film himself. Dupalas. Dupalas. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dupalas. I think that's right. The commonality between these two films is that Devin is in both of them. He stars in both of them. Both of them are directed by different people. So that's kind of an interesting conversation. But he is the writer, actor and producer, a major creative force on both of these films. So we dive in deep, talk about his history, kind of like moving out to Los Angeles, how he got into the comedy space his roots at Funny or Die and all the things he learned there and how he leveraged that network into a pair of films, uh, one of which is premiering at Tribeca, which is pretty darn cool. The different things he learned on making one film that's a little bit more traditional, quote unquote, and then one that's a little more meta avant-garde and mixed media and the two approaches behind those films. There are some things he said about festivals that are interesting to think about because they kind of buck conventional wisdom. and. You might enjoy that part of the conversation. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't enjoy it, it's fine because it's like an hour into the episode. So you'll you'll already <laughs> have given us what we need, which is, you know how in video you always say like, how many eyeballs can we get on this? Is uh, mm-hmm. When do you say in podcast? Ear holes? That's all we care about is the ear holes. If you want to let us know, write us. Just shoot a pod at gmail.com. If you want to help pay for this podcast to continue existing, for us to pay our editor, us to pay for our server space, to keep us going check out patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and you can give us a dollar a month two dollars fifteen dollars even once one time for one month we'll get you a just shoot it the podcast hat mailed to you by me if you want you can take the sweat off of the hat extract some dna clone me and have your very own Oren in a few years just you know telling you pointless stories in your kitchen in the morning yeah, so one time I was making a CPR video. Oh, yeah, that's a good story. Should I 
jump into that before this interview or yeah 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 we've got 30 minutes anyway four listeners give or take three will get that joke but without any further ado because this is a long episode we're gonna just go right into the rest of the show ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we're here with Devin Das, filmmaker extraordinaire, writer, producer, (laughs) actor. Previous medical student, son of probably very disappointed parents. Yes, to all of that. Wait, so you were pre-med though, so you hadn't gotten into medical school Totally. So their their hopes weren't too, too high. No, I let them down early on. I didn't string them along too, too. I mean, I strung them along for 19 years of my life. As the president of drama club in high school... I beg to differ. You can disappoint your parents much earlier than college. My parents from a very early age were like, my my dad is a doctor. He was like, just do what I tell you, be a doctor and you'll live a a good, stable life. Like it was like very much that from like an early age. And like, so it just like instilled in me like, all right, just follow the path, you know? And I never really thought about if I actually like gave a shit about it or like was interested in it. Growing up though, I was like very much a film nerd, very much a film and TV nerd. But I just like, thought that was just like something I enjoyed. So then like when I was in college, I'm like straight up failing out of classes, like feeling this pressure of like, oh shit, I don't like any of this. And that's probably why I'm failing. What am I going to do? One thing led to another. I had a conversation, just a fateful conversation with a a friend of mine who was studying communications at Indiana University. And that's where I was. And he was just like, yeah, I'm studying like film classes and stuff like that. And I don't know, I think I want to get into film. And I was just like, had so many questions for him. I was like, dude, what are you going to do? For work. He's like, I'm going to try and like become a filmmaker. And I, it's like, of course I knew film schools existed and all that. But like, for me, this was like such a foreign thing to like mm-hmm. pursue because I just never gave it a thought. What I noticed about your work, your two features, they're both comedies. Yeah. And I saw just from the casting of those movies, you have a lot of very funny people in them. Yeah. So clearly you're connected to some sort of like comedy community. Yeah. Matt makes fun of me for 
appreciating people that didn't go to film school, but I was an engineering major, but I always like loved comedy, you know, like I grew up on Mel Brooks and dude, so yes. I think there's people that go in from like their big film fans, kind of like Matt, like obviously Matt's a comedy guy too, but, but as a kid, I didn't realize yeah. I wanted to make comedy. Right. You just loved like filmmaking. And unfortunately, sometimes people think of a film student as like drama. You know, yeah. Like a yeah, little snobby yeah, yeah. right. girl neck wearing. <laughs> yeah. Art house. Yeah. 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 Like for me, like I had more fun hanging out with like the funny people than the super studious people. I feel like that's another way into the arts. And you're like, whoa, you can have a job like doing funny things. You know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, 100%. And like when I decided to make that change in college, like, and I dove headfirst, I started taking, you know, production classes and like we didn't have a proper film school necessarily, but like it was a great, there were still like some really good courses and stuff. But like I always wanted to do comedy, but at the time, like in like when I was in college, like I was trying to make weird, artsy, like dramatic, like self important shit, you know? And it's like, it was awful. Like I would melt if anyone saw any of that. But it was like a very much a thing of like when I did move out to LA or like when I was like getting ready and thinking about moving out to LA, I was like, oh, I'm, I don't know why I was ever like focusing on like trying to be like just something I'm not. Like comedy is that nice entry point. Like so many people in comedy didn't go to film school. They were actually theater kids and started doing improv or whatever. And it is a nice doorway into the entertainment world because you just kind of have to have a good sense of humor, I guess. I don't know. And you can like get in through just being like a writer or just a performer or whatever. And that's what I found when I moved out to LA because I like I had an internship at Funny or Die. That's all I had when I moved out here. And then I just like started taking improv classes. And how'd you get that internship? There was a club at the school ran by students called Business Careers and Entertainment Club. Like in Indiana, I didn't know it. Even when I was there, the I was like, coolest club on campus. Dude, it was the funniest, <laughs> the funniest name for a club. It still is to me. My senior year, I was like, oh boy, what am I going to do? Like business major friends of mine are like signing job offers and shit. I'm like, what am I going to do? And a friend of mine in one of my classes was like, was the president of uh, that club, Business Careers and Entertainment Club. And she, and I was like, dude, I was like, hey, like, what are you doing? And she was like, hey, we have a, we have a networking trip coming up in January where we go out to LA for a week and we meet with a bunch of alumni working in Hollywood. I was like, what? I was like, get me on that. How can I get involved with that? She's like, you got to join the club. I was like, okay, done. And I, I went um, on that trip and we met with so many people, big time people that I didn't even know were IU alumni at that time, like at New Line Cinema, at WM, at all the agencies, all that. And um, Funny or Die had a couple of alumni running it. Uh, running the company at that time, Mike Farah, who's over there is an alum mm -hmm. and all that. I met with them and that's that, that was the only company I was like, that's where I want to get in. So I luckily was able to get an interview just because I did that trip. And then I luckily got the, the internship. I didn't know anything. Like I just had that internship and I was like, all I knew is I want, I will do anything to learn everything. Cause I was like, I have no idea how this, any of this operates. Like sure. I have basic production experience, but I don't know. You know, and so I just don't. Sometimes in. I'm jealous of people who move from out of town and then like kind of land in Los Angeles. And the only thing they have going is the thing they're trying to focus on. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, did you move with friends or anything like that? Uh, so what I did is it was me and like five other people that I went to college with. But I was the only okay. one that had graduated that like I had just graduated. Everyone else had another year. All these mm -hmm. other people that came, were coming out with internships. We all stayed in a 
in a rental, like a three month rental. You know, I was like sharing a room with someone. It was like we were packed in like sardines and sure. they, they were the only people I knew. And then after three months, they were gone. So all you could do really was hang out at Funny or Die. Yeah. Like whether you were scheduled or not, it was like you had, you literally didn't have anything better. Well, they they were like I had a three day internship and I was like, I was like, listen, I any PA opportunities outside of the days I'm here, like know that I'm available is what I said. Like I was just like, yeah. I'm free. And I just got on as many sets as possible and just did whatever I could to get my hands dirty. So, yeah, and I did that. And I just like and then I signed up at UCB. I was just like, I'm going to just do nothing but this. Did you at that point, did you have like a certain path or um, goal of like what I wanted to do? Yeah. Directing, writing, producing, acting. Yeah. So screenwriting was was like me moving out was like, I'm going to like focus on screenwriting because like that was initially when I like made the choice to like switch majors and all that. It was like, yeah, I'm going to like learn production, all that. But I like want to like dive into writing. That That was what I moved out here to do was to like focus on that. And that's also a big reason why I, I started doing improv at UCB is because I had I sure I like always like liked kind of, you know, mm-hmm. performing. But like to me, everyone was like, oh, if you want to improve your writing, like take improv classes. That's like, like that's what, just what I kept hearing. So I was like, OK, great. That's all I'll do. So, yeah, that was that was the goal. But like very quickly, like did producing kind of pop up as like a skill set or just like an op- option for me because I was like, oh, I don't hate this. And it's like the one thing in this entire industry that like actually gives you some semblance of control, you know, mm-hmm. whereas everything else you're just like. And you're in demand, right? Like good yeah. producers get hired, you know, 100% like you're in demand, like it's, it's invaluable. And like, I definitely struggled with it at first. Cause like, I was like, Oh, but do I want, I need, I should be focusing on my writing. You know what I mean? But like, it was, it was good. I mean, like, you know, it just working on set, Working at Funny or Die, I was like, I would kind of played this like makeshift production coordinator role. It like got my hands really dirty in that way. And it was great. So, yeah, I mean, it was just that. And that's where I like met a lot of my like some of my best friends. We just started making stuff together. And it was it was great. And it was great because it was like a, the Wild West at Funny or Die back then. And in the sense that like just anything and everything could get shot and made like it was like if equipment wasn't being used, they would like because we worked there, they'd be like. If we asked them, hey, can we borrow this camera or whatever? They'd be like, yeah, sure, fine. Uh, and it just gave us access in that way, which was great. So what was your first paid gig after the internship? That internship turned into, again, it turned into that full-time front desk job at Funny or Die. So I mm-hmm. literally was there for a year and a half at the front desk of Funny or Die, managing interns, managing office stuff, like just and and kind of playing uh that makeshift production coordinator role for like all the (laughs) in-office shoots and stuff so i was doing that for like a year and a half and then i got the opportunity to to jump ship uh and work for a director for this guy jake samansky do you guys know him i don't know him personally but i'm like a huge fan of his work oh cool Yeah, yeah yeah jake's great jake's awesome and the opening for his assistant role came up and i didn't even have to interview it was like because I was like kind of part of the family in a sense, I was like, I want that. I like raised my hand and <laughs> I, I, I like had a conversation with Jake. I, it wasn't even an interview, had a conversation with Jake and he's like, great, let's do this. And I was like, cool, let's do it. You know? And it was awesome, man. Like the first thing we worked on together was seven days in hell. And I ended up getting like an uh, associate producer credit on that. Like for me, it, that was like a dream. I was like, I can't believe I get to like work on stuff at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, 
that just like threw me further into it, you know? You know, everyone's like, oh, it's a who you know game and this and that. But like, it truly, like, I think the emphasis of like being able to like build your network or just like build relationships with people and like the more you work on stuff and the more people you get to meet and like regularly work with and like even, you know, just all the crew people, you know, like the regulars that you get to work with, like that stuff is invaluable. And it really came into play when I like was making my own stuff, when I like, finally like started working on my own indies whenever i talk to anybody who's sort of like interested in like trying to get further in you know who's like i'm thinking of like making the move out here or whatever my biggest piece of advice is like good and just do whatever you can to just work at the bottom of the ladder and do it as much as you can and just Mm -hmm. soak it all in it's so easy to move out and be like well i want this thing. i want the top of the you know and some of my favorite experiences were just like working in that support staff role it's also like a you have a certain amount of responsibility, certainly, but also like the ability to observe and to soak it all up, like you said, without a ton of accountability. <laughs> right, right. You know, gives you For presence sure. of mind, right? Like if, totally. if the whole production is on your shoulders, then you don't have a chance to like kind of like take in what the producer is doing and what the director is doing, what the DP is doing and like. You don't get to hear any of the like gossip from the other departments or like understand how people feel about each other, you know, all that stuff, which is pretty invaluable. And like, you know, the higher up you get, the the harder it is to be able to kind of be a fly on the wall. You you get shielded from everything. And that's like, obviously, when you are at that level and you have the pressure to focus on that singular thing that you have to do, like, you know. You're really curious about the Jake Zemanski thing for a second. Like, was he a freelancer or was he full time somewhere when you were his assistant? Like, who was paying you? What's that? Can I I get an assistant? What's the deal with that? (laughs) That was a, I think that was like a, relatively unique situation the first year of working with him i actually was his full-time assistant and then also the front desk slash office manager of gifted youth which was at the Mm. time the commercial uh commercial production arm of fun or die and jake was on the roster of gifted youth so i was playing this dual role as so, and I was getting, and I was, I was technically still a funnier die, like gifted youth employee. And that was like my first year I was like just getting paid there. But then I was also like working for Jake full time in that sense. And I would still get to like go and be on set with him and stuff like that. That's the real now. move. Wait, and were you working on treatments and like helping out and then like getting job and like understanding how, how directors sell themselves and how projects get off the ground? It was incredible. I was sitting on calls, listening to him pitch on jobs and uh, getting to really see the advertising, uh, the commercial production world was incredible because that is, you know, I mean, I know you guys both work in that world and it's like, it's, it's very invaluable because that's where a lot of the work is. Um, And so, yeah, no, I was sitting on calls. I was helping him out with treatments, um, all of that. Uh, and, and it was awesome. And, and I got to work on like other productions too outside of him just through Gifted Youth um, with their executive producers uh, at the time. It was great. Like that year was awesome. It was amazing. And, you know, working on Seven Days in Hell during that time and all that. But then during that time too, Jake was working on finding his first feature. Mm-hmm. and he uh, ended up landing Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Uh, and then it was like development and casting was going on during that year and all that. And then it just became real. It was greenlit. It was going to happen. And I went with him on that. And that's when I went fully, fully with 
uh, Jake for uh, from that period um, and worked on that movie and was getting paid through the production at that point. And that was like one of the best things to work on to like work on a studio level movie and see how it actually how that actually operates was like a dream come true like you know i was at the time like 25 or whatever and i was it was just like oh my god this is this is like what i want wanted to be doing i wanted to be working on a movie set you know like and And coming to be like oh oh do i really want this yes or no right like you get to see the good and the bad right like to one one hundred percent. There's, I think it's so valuable to know what you don't like just as much mm-hmm. as what you do. You know, like it, it really helps you figure out, especially like whether it's a, as a creative or just someone who's trying to figure out their career or whatever. Like you're like, what's my, where are my values? What's my voice? Um, and and so it was, it was invaluable for that because I, I experienced. I mean, it was, it was surreal. It was so much fun to be. I mean, I'm assuming as the the director's assistant, you're like hearing him talking to Anna Kendrick and Zach Efron and and telling them like how to do scenes and blocking things and all figuring out schedules and all the, everything that takes to make a a movie. It was amazing. I mean, I mean, you guys know the director is the center of the universe on any set, right? Um, Well, especially film and commercial. I was I was right there at the center of the universe. I was just in every meeting. I was I was very much the liaison. I mean, and and that was the reason that was so invaluable is that really bolstered my producing skills because you really act as uh, a producer um in a, in a lot of ways where it's like I'm talking to the line producer, first AD, every single department head and I am the intermediate between the director and the entire production. Pretty much everything was just going straight through me. You know what I mean. And so, in that sense, it was, it was amazing. Because um, I just learned, I, I learned at the highest level of what the standards are. You know, and like, and you know, no production is the same. And and I, I think you know, I think we all know this that like it when in filmmaking and in producing, especially like everyone's really kind of just trying to figure it out day by day. You know, because like. There's always issues that arise that they haven't, people haven't dealt with before or whatever, you know, also like learn from other people's mistakes, uh, sure. you know, yeah. not, not Jake's, Tell us about but like, Jake's mistakes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't mean Jake's. I, I mean like, but just like, you know, just sort of seeing like the, the issues that people were like having to resolve mm-hmm. and it wasn't mm-hmm. even necessarily mistakes that they made or whatever. It's just like, it's just like the things that come up. I want to jump into your feature soon because we're, you know, been talking for a little bit. But before we do that real quick, can you be specific at all about anything you learned from like your experience on um, Mike and Dave need wedding dates or like like, give us. Yeah, something like an aha moment of like, oh, this is how movies are made. Like we all know that movies have issues, but what's like like what are some of the things takeaways you got? Like whether it's like how. Jake worked with actors or how you rearranged schedules or rewrote the script or what, what, yeah. what was interesting found yeah. the comedy. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, what's interesting is that production was ran very smoothly. Um, and was, it was, a, it was great for a lot of reasons. I will say post-production was one of the, the most informative for me because especially learning that the post-production uh, process really is the third revision of a film 
it is the third time a film is being written. And I like hadn't really experienced that before. I hadn't seen that before. I had been on a lot of sets before I had been, but like sitting like for the nine months that movie was being edited and really seeing the issues that arise when editing was very mm-hmm. eye opening. It was amazing to see like, okay, the film is getting chiseled down. It's getting molded into what, you know, not only what a lot, like what the studio wants and, you know, production company and all that, but then also Jake just trying to like, you know, do what he's trying to do. Um, and, and it was very eye opening to see like the process of knowing that like, great, you, you edit it in a way that you want it like towards what you want it to be. And there are going to be gaps and holes that you have to fill in later. So then there was that rewriting process of, and, and there were approvals for uh, pickup shoots and to actually go back and get the cast together and like get, you know, we went onto the Paramount lot and we went and shot a, a couple days of pickups for like a handful of scenes. Um, that was like very interesting to me because I think, there is that expectation of like, you you know, you go on set, you film everything that you film and then you go edit it with what you have. And it's like, no, you don't always have to do that. You, you got creatively the best um, thing to do is just really make it what it needs to be. And wherever those gaps are, you figure out a way to fill those gaps and to really, um, to really hit the mark that you're trying to hit. And I, I just watching that process of it being molded and rewritten and, mm-hmm. um, and having to defend those creative choices too, you know, which I think Jake did a great job of, um, was very eye opening to me. Um, in the sense that you, that, I don't know, I guess that you just, that you can do that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that it's okay to do. And we, I did that on both of my independent features where it was like, we, it was inevitable that we had to do that. But it didn't scare me. It was like, oh no, this is part of the process. It, this is it, the the way that people make movies. Yeah, this is yeah. the way people make movies. I just don't think that's like a very like. I don't not think everybody knows that. Not everyone yeah. knows that, and I didn't really know that or understand that until I worked on Mike and Dave. And yeah. additionally, it's a hard to experience that because shorts, commercials, mm-hmm. sketch, all of that stuff. It's not necessarily imperative that you do that. It's kind exactly. of more that you kind of messed up if yeah. you need to do a day of pickups on a sketch right. because you probably only shot for a day you know <laughs> right right um, yeah no it's so, just not it's just not common practice yeah. in on short form stuff and that's all i had really worked on at that point so yeah do you remember we talked about this on the podcast like years ago but there was a company i think they went under but it was like a production company whose entire model was like we're gonna book the actors for like 30 days and then we're gonna book like a three month break and then we're going to book them for another 10 days and we're going to build our whole budget around this like shoot and reshoot what what um, was that there was a for, company that yeah that, that, that their model was they're like was, look yeah. to make a good movie you need to have reshoots uh, as part oh, of your interesting. budget and it's not just like get a few exterior shots it's like edit the movie you might need scenes full full full-fledged scenes right for sure and it's very true i'm sure not many movies don't you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you see all the best indie films, the like $7,000 movie or like Desperado or um, like crazy or whatever these, um, right. another earth, these films that like did really well on insanely tiny budgets. Yeah. And you realize that the people, the directors own the cameras, right. they shot half the movie, they edited yep. it, they reshot half the movie, added another, like that they, they had 
200 shooting days. And that's why their just movie is so good. Just spread out over time. And it's like, great, you get yeah. to figure it out as you're going. Yeah, 100%. And because they acted in them themselves like Primer. You know, all, those, all yeah, the best yeah. indie films like were shot. They weren't shot. There's no amazing indie film that was shot in nine days, you know? Right, right. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's very true. If you go in knowing that, it's like so helpful to be like, look, we think this is the best version of the script. We think this is the best version of the production, but let's leave ourselves room to... It alleviates the pressure. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that is like part of the creative process too that I think like if you leave yourself open creatively, it's it like, of course, be intentional and be like, yes, this is what it needs to be. But like, you're going to find at some point something is not what it needs. Like it's not yeah. actually right. You know? Yeah. Mistakes happen or, or, you know, things evolve is what you're saying, but that's not an excuse for being totally flippant. Totally. But I think this is a perfect segue or, and you were saying like, how nice is it to star in your own films? Right. <laughs> right. So that you're in control of the schedule and the production days. You don't yeah. have to call your own agent if you're in the movie, right? <laughs> right? So you've got two films coming out. You've got Keeping Company and also, I'm not going to be, I'm, I can't Do you want me it. to say it? I, yes, say Wes it. Schlagenhoff. You did it. You got it. Oh. Wes Schlagenhoff. You got, is, Wes Schlagenhoff is dying. And they both star the same guy. Uh, me. Is that yes. what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to, I... I wasn't Wait, sure if that was the right answer for uh, a second. Who's, who's in both of my movies? I mean, <laughs> Mark Duplass. Mark, yeah. So can we just jump straight into Wes Schlafen, Schlagenhoff? <laughs> Wes yeah, Schlafenhoff, yeah. Keeping Company, which comes out tomorrow. So if tomorrow. you're listening to this episode, it's already available. Uh, but it's a little bit more conventional. Is that fair to say? Uh, the way it was made definitely is more yeah, conventional. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's not a put down to the film, but like no. that's a standard indie movie that you happen to be in. Uh, also, uh, uh, Ahmed Barucha is in that movie. Uh, yeah, he's incredible his, in that movie. His sister is a dear friend of the show, Maureen. Yeah, yeah, he's been on multiple times. But So let's talk about Wes Schlafen. Schlagenhoff. <laughs> I love Schlagenhoff is dead. Let's yes. talk about that a little bit, because I think this is a less conventional production approach a little bit. So walk us through it. Yeah, yeah, no. That, that, uh, Wes Schlagenhoff is dying. It was really truly one of a kind in terms of the production my dear friend parker seaman and i who parker directed the film we wrote it together we both uh, act in it and this was the summer of 2020 the peak of the pandemic and we were like trying to figure out like what should we do during this time you know we mm -hmm. i think a lot of people were trying to figure out what should we do during this time and obviously being responsible staying home was definitely <laughs> top of mind but we were like well what should we be writing and long story short we we come up with this idea, um, which is to play into our real life and, and, and really make something that is a heightened version of who we are as people and our friendship with our friend Wes Schlagenhoff. Like you came up with the idea that everyone tells you is the worst idea for a movie, right? Right. Like don't make a movie about filmmakers in L.A. Yes. Don't make a movie about making movies. Yep. And, and, uh, and you did both of those. And we did both of those. And we, but the thing is, we did both of those intentionally to, basically for us, it was like a way to just, we wanted to flip every trope on its head and we wanted to comment on, it becomes a very meta film uh, because we start commenting on the film you're watching by commenting on the film we're making, uh, which is not the first time that's been done in a movie, but we are doing it in a way to really just satirize and make fun of that thought process like the guys that are actually going out to do that 
it was us making fun of that. But then in reality, we are doing that. So it was like mm-hmm. this very weird meta uh, thing to write um, and to actually film because it's like, well, we're trying to make fun of it, but we are actually doing it and all that. But yeah, so we just like we wrote the script. For clarity, you have a friend named Wes Schlagenhoff. So Wes Schlagenhoff is Wes Schlagenhoff, Parker Seaman, and myself are three best friends who met out here in LA. We met at Funny or Die. Wes was working at Gary Sanchez. I was working at Funny or Die. And that's his real name, Schlagenhoff. That's his real name. It couldn't get more German than that. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Clogs. Yeah, yeah, not far off from Clogs. Lederhosen. Yeah, yeah. So, so the three of us... Uh, have known each other for 10 years now. We met each other in 2012, uh, all working as interns and assistants and stuff like that. And we started making sketches together and and all that. And then in 2018, uh, Wes had hit his breaking point. That was the 10-year mark for him in LA. He had kind of hit his breaking point and just was like, needed to hit the reset button and told us, he's like, I'm kind of just going to take a break from pursuing the film stuff and I'm going to move back home to Boise. And Parker and I were like, what? Like, that was like our first friend to be like, I'm quitting, essentially. It was sort of a shock to the system for us because we had just, we couldn't, we were like, oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah, like, whatever you need to do. It was one of those things that for then, for the past couple of years, we would just always, I mean, we would just always joke and we'd kind of make fun of him from quitting on his dreams. <laughs> and like, that's just our dynamic where we, you know, it's bit therapy where we're always just like kind of making the joke about the thing that is actually a sensitive subject you know <laughs> um and so we would you know it it was something that we were just like you're gonna move back out here man you gotta move back out here and and he just hasn't yet and so when parker and i were like trying to figure out what we do we we're like should we make a movie about us going to like visit Wes and like maybe trying to get the band back together and blah 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 and it just snowballed into this thing where we had made a, a short film a couple months earlier that was a prank it was called trust the bum and it was this Mm -hmm. prank film Uh, it was this prank video essentially of us pranking our friend michael vlamis who's like a cw actor and it's us like pretending we're a sun bum marketing team gonna give him a promotional opportunity you you catfish your friend but catfish our friend thank you girl it's like exactly it's a brand opportunity yeah 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 yeah. and so we can it was real like you really did it? Uh, so we really, so here's the thing is we started doing the prank and then as the prank got further in, Parker and I were like, wait a minute, we can't just like break the news to him. This is actually getting to a point where like, it is kind of mean of us to do because we were like <laughs> promising him like $10,000. And like, uh, so that, and that money was, is already spent in his mind. And, what, like, oh. like, and it, I think he like bought stuff on Amazon thinking he was <laughs> <laughs> he said he, he told me he bought a Roomba. He he bought a like a twelve hundred dollar Roomba. Um, it's okay. He's on CW show. He's doing yeah, all right. Fine, fine, um, yeah. sorry to streamline this. We made that video and the or we, we were doing that prank. And as we were doing that prank, we were like, oh my god, it, we have to break the news to him in a in a funny way. So we decided to like work backwards and we made a video that then digresses into this weirdly emotional mm-hmm. meta piece where Parker and I are questioning why we're even doing this in the first place. And it's like very much that we're stuck at home and we're losing our minds and we just miss the old times and blah, blah. We miss being with each other as friends and we can't, you know, all that. And that it turned into this very layered thing that we were like, oh, we should capture that and put it into a feature film. Also though, having seen that short film, it kind of presents a sort of, 
production style that I think is really interesting in so much that it's like, and it's been a minute, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like a combination of like sort of mixed media. It's like screen captures, Mm -hmm. like you're seeing phone screens, you're seeing it's docu style a little bit, but it's it's very, very loose, but also mixed in with kind of like, you know, like if you, if you combine doc style with like the screen films, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfriended like the, or something like that. There's yeah, a little bit of a, yeah. of a blending, but with like kind of a, a playful tone to it. Well, and we also throw in like VHS home video that we had recorded mm-hmm. of, our, of us as friends hanging out over the years, because that's when we get into that weird, dark period, like dark part of the film where it's like, why are we doing this? We, we're, we're best friends who miss each other, like blah, blah, blah. And we, so it's very, it's a mixed media piece. It's very fast paced. It almost feels like a, a collage that's just mm-hmm. like a, a roller coaster of a, of, of a narrative. And that also is like very much part of Parker's directing style. Um, mm-hmm. He has other uh, shorts that he did that also play with those techniques. But then it also production wise is something that we just did for years, very run and gun gorilla production with our sketch comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. So like it was just something that's just like kind of second nature to us. Like it's just how we know how to operate. Um, so, like, so it wasn't an aha moment that I was mining for. I was well, hoping that like it was like, oh, this found some success and is a kind of a, a, a heightened style. But that like lends itself to a low budget without it ever feeling. It, it's the first time that I think we ha- that you know. it had it, it was an aha moment in that it's the first time that it was like actually a narrative and not as much as like like it was it was like it was taking what we've done in the past, but doing it in the, for the first time in a very in a much more just structured narrative sense, mm-hmm. I think. And for us, that was that aha moment of like, how do we do that in a, in a long form way? Do we, how do we, how do we stretch this in a long form way where, because it was, it did do really well. And it was one of those things where like, I think what we loved about it was that I think it just hit people unexpectedly with like, wait, why, how did that suddenly get emotional all of a sudden? And like, Mm-hmm. I'm like invested in you guys as friends and your and as people. Right. When this you is go a prank from like, video. Oh, oh, like screen captures of Instagram <laughs> right. into like some dudes fucking around and like messing with their friend into right. something meaningful. more heartfelt and meaningful. Yeah. And that was the aha moment. Mm-hmm. Like that was like the first time we had done that. And we were like, we got to capture that. We got to take that what we captured and put it into a longer form. And so when we were riffing around on like what we're trying to write for a feature and should we make a movie about us going to see Wes and all that, it very and and when we were like, if we're going to try and capture that and like try and take people on this ride where eventually they're going to get hit in the gut with like emotion, like let's center it around us as friends and this very and like we're playing, we pulled from such so much of our real life and our real life dynamic that you just can't recreate. You can't write that stuff. Really. You can't like, you know, it's, it is kind of lightning in a bottle um, for the fact that like, it's just unique to us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we were like, let's focus on that. Let's hone it in, in that way. Um, and, and just try and write the, the best story we can while also playing with this mixed media aspect and, and a narrative that is very layered and meta but used in that way for humor and comedy and all that. Um, Can we unpack that just a tiny bit more on a practical level? I'm curious about how, how you approach something like that. How do you, Mm -hmm. what does that look like on the page? And then also Mm -hmm. how do you, 
shoot it yeah finance it so with writing it i mean it was parker and i just sitting down together every day that we could write and just are you writing like final draft screenplay like dialogue are you kind of writing like kind of beat sheets or treat Mm -hmm. script mints or no no it was a very tight script and and actually a lot of the film is we stuck to the script as much as possible for a for production purposes but also because we really wanted to we, we felt very confident in what we had on page. We tried to improvise as much as we could and, and whatnot um, and in in the certain moments that it was um, okay to do that. But no, we, we were, yeah, we were right. I mean, it was, it was a very um, standard screenplay, strict script, even all the very um, multimedia moments and montages, like we were really writing it out um, as, as you would, a you know, a, a moment of action like it was just like really making clear for the reader like what this is and that was you know we didn't need other people to read it and understand it but it was also for us to like it just felt like it if if i mean we did actually i take that back we did need other people to read it and understand it because I was gonna say you have cast right like yeah like, no like not only does the cast need to get it but like when we're like bringing in crew that our friends are like you know people that we're pulling favors from we want them to read it and get it and like be like oh i know what you're doing here especially it's like hey because we would send out our short film trust the bum be like this is the tonal reference and style reference and then they'll you read the script and you're like oh i know what you're doing like i'm reading the script i you like we wrote it very specifically so that anyone could read and understand and follow along of what we're doing here in the mixed media moments and stuff like that so like all the voiceover that plays over a lot of our mixed media and stuff it's like it's all there it's written beat by beat um underneath the visuals and stuff so yeah we sat down and just cranked it out on page you know and we're both just on on our computers and that's just us just having discussions scene by scene as we're beating it out and then eventually writing it we really made sure we were fully on the same page creatively because it is so much to balance and we didn't we wanted to go into production just being like we already know what the vision is here and let's not waste time trying to figure it out in the moment we we wanted to avoid that mumblecore production style because we just knew that we couldn't afford to do that it to to especially to accomplish what we were trying to accomplish Right. And you two are the actors, main actors. Too. Yeah. Like the movie is 90% us on screen. So people are going to like the moments that other people are on screen, I think are going to be the favorite are, are going to be <laughs> the audience's favorite moments. Cause they're going to be like, finally, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to push us through here a little bit. Cause I just want to talk about the cast real quick. Speaking of other people. Yeah. You have Darcy Carden, you have Mark Duplass. Part of the premise of the movie is that these two guys are trying to get Mark Duplass to record a video message for their dying friend. Right. Wes Blagenhoff. Right. So do you you picture like Mark Duplass as like the god of like indie film? You write him in and then you send him the script. How do you get Mark Duplass on board? Yeah, we there's there's a few different um levels to this. So when we were trying to figure out what we were going to do like what kind what like when we're trying to figure out what's the story we want to tell and whatnot part of what inspired us was that parker had received a cameo and for those who don't know cameo is a Mm -hmm. website where you can go on and pay whoever's on there any celebrity actor athlete if you're a fan of uh reality television oh yeah 
you know, a, a couple line. seasons ago. You could, you know, <laughs> right, yeah, a couple friend. seasons ago. You so went like, Snooky singing right. your happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, no, no, so, that's like way too, like, <laughs> I don't know. But like, but like, but like people like, like, like the soup Nazi, the guy that played the soup Nazi right. on Seinfeld, he's on there and you can get him to like record a message for a friend or whatever for if you pay a hundred bucks or whatever his rate is. And, and so anyways, Parker had received a cameo from his, I think it was his girlfriend who got him a cameo for his birthday that summer from Mark Duplass. And it was like a really long video of Mark <laughs> just sort of being like, Hey man, happy birthday. I heard you're a filmmaker. And, uh, and like him giving advice of like what to do as an indie like filmmaker. You should read so my book. He said that he straight up. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember that there is a, I can't remember if it was on the show or if it was just a personal friend who said like when casting, Go on to Cameo because yeah. it will tell you who is kind of famous and willing to do stuff for money. <laughs> and well, I think that Mark is probably doing something totally different. Like it's like this was a, for charity, but that's a that, different deal. But yeah, <laughs> that's a joke we make in the movie where like I'm like Mark Duplass is on Cameo and Parker's like Mark's on Cameo. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know why, but yes, he is on Cameo. Like it is a joke of but he was doing it for charity. And, sure, and sure. it, it was deal, that thing no. where it was like it is funny. It's hysterical that. He's on there. Anyway, so, he, you know, we had that came and when we were riffing around on the idea of like what this movie could be, we were like, oh, my God, how funny it would be if like our characters, because Wes, we find out Wes is sick, we want to get him a cameo to make him feel better. And his who who better than his favorite filmmaker, Mark Duplass. And but instead of instead of us even sharing that cameo with Wes, it's like it inspires us in turn to like to make a movie that's going to then give us the break we need in Hollywood, you know, like so. It, it turned into a plot point and we were like, let's run with that. And we use the cameo that Parker received like that. The cam we use that cameo uh, in the movie, but we had written ourselves into a corner where we we're like, well, we got to get Mark later on. In the we have to have it pay off in a way like, right. It's like and, showing the gun without shooting it. Right. Right. And so, and so we did, we wrote ourselves into a corner where there is a moment where Mark Duplass uh, appears and we just, we got lucky, man. Like we put together materials and we sent it over. Uh, and not even agent? no, no. We um, out one of our producers knows someone at Duplass, the two Duplass brothers company. Um, Will Dowsett, who works over there at at uh, the Duplass brothers company, and just sent it, being like, "Hey, we're producing this movie. We're making this movie. If Mark would be interested in this, and what the, what made it an easy ask." was that we didn't need Mark in person. We just needed him to record something on screen that we could then play on a TV screen later. And a couple weeks went by and, you know, nothing. A couple more weeks went by and, like, us following up. And and then Will was like, he, he hey, he loves this. He thinks it's really funny. And do you um, send, it like, an offer or anything? Monetary? Uh, well, uh, we, no, there was no, I mean, it was such a weird like situation. Like scale man. type of deal? Such a weird situation. We... We hadn't really had any of that discussion. We were just trying to find out if he would do it. That's mm. all. That's all. We, 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 it was like very casual because we, we didn't have anything to really offer other than like SAG ultra low budget scale. And so we right. were and, like, let's not and even. Cre and credit but, and a copy of the film. And a credit. <laughs> sure. and credit right. But Don't it's like one of those things. <laughs> right. um, but it's like, is $211 going to mean anything? You know, we right. were just like, what, let's just see if he'd at least engage with us and like humor us to at least talk to us about it or whatever and to mark duplass's credit man like that guy really does support indie filmmakers 
we he's so busy we didn't even really get to talk to him six weeks went by and all of a sudden one day we receive a google drive link with his (laughs) with his take and we were like no way and we still hadn't talked about any like we hadn't gotten into a conversation it's easier to just shoot take in his office or whatever. He, and that's what he did. And he just sent like it over. Screen record, send it over. Great. We're done. Don't worry about it. It was amazing. It was, it, I mean, we're, we're forever grateful to him. I mean, we, we, we haven't even really gotten to like talk to him about it still. <laughs> it's crazy. It's fucking crazy. I mean, since then we have like buttoned up with paperwork and stuff like that, but it was all like very painless. It was, it's incredible. It, it, it was one of those things where it's like very rare and weird. It's like, that's not how things work, but, sure. it, but right. But the man, the man really, uh, really did a solid for us. I mean, certainly also like as a, you know, a person who is constantly espousing these sorts of, you know, just shoot it mentality, of right? Course, like it, yeah. you're kind of you would uh, asking him to, to put his money where his mouth is. But let's <laughs> talk about, I think, like Darcy Carton or, or Aparna yeah. Nancharla, you know, like yeah. there are other kind of maybe people who have less of a reputation, per se, of sure. like supporting independent film. Right. Yeah. Well, so with so with Darcy Carden, Darcy is the best. She's wonderful. We have known Darcy since our Funny or Die days. Funny or Die. And sure. Darcy worked with us. She was nice enough to like do sketches of ours back mm-hmm. then. And we also know Jason Carden, her husband, who was a producer at Funny or Die at the time. And so like oh, we I just met that guy. He's great. At a party. He's the best. Doesn't he work for Seth Meyers company? He does, yeah. He's he is the best. He's and he's a damn good producer. Um, yeah. So the the Cardins are the best. They're amazing. We've known them for for years now. Um, but Darcy, in the time that we've you know we're making mm-hmm. sketches with her, up she was a friend now, of yours at the theater and now is famous. Is right. national like sure. treasure almost like you know people love her. People see her and they're like, that's Janet. Like. She's a full-blown celebrity and she's killing it. And it's all, I'm so happy for her. You know, it's like amazing, but it's one of those things where. And for listeners that don't know, she's Janet in the good place and she's on Barry yes. and she's in a lot of other, a lot of other things. Awesome yes. Shows. Um, and uh league of their own coming out on Amazon. I'll plug that for her. Um, yeah. So we, we were like, we just had this, you know, it's a, it's again, it was like an easy ask small role and it was mm-hmm. to shoot remotely. And she's so busy, but we were like, who better? And and for us, it was like this full circle moment for Wes Parker and I to have Darcy in a movie that were like our our first movie together that like she was a supporter of ours when we were all just hustling, trying to do whatever. And now she's this big celebrity. And we were like, well, let's just hit her up. Let's just ask her if she'll do it. And she did it. And it, she, there was like no questions asked. She's like, guys, I'll do anything for you. Um, so, you know, we filmed a day with her on zoom, you know, like, and she has since she saw the movie and she loved it. And she like, was like, I wa- she wanted to put her name on it. So she's now an executive producer of the movie too, which is great. Um, but so that's how that worked out. That was just like, and this was all, I mean, I guess it was a lot of this during COVID. This was all during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there, cause there was probably a time it's not very helpful for people making movies now, but there was probably a time that was easier to get people yeah. to do things cause they were yeah. all at home. Yeah. Well, and I mean, but you know what her and Mark, man, like they were working, they were Mm -hmm. like, you know, they were on stuff that was like, had the budget to like, you know, make it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
but but still i i mean i, I i'm sure that there were like I, we probably did um benefit from some gaps in time that she did have or like was it just home and not traveling abroad or wherever but um so that definitely helped and then with aparna it was it was re- that was more traditional that was reaching out to her agents mm-hmm. you know we we were like we'd love like we'd love her like her uh dry delivery for this character like she's gonna be perfect for this role um and that was something we did film with her in person um that was a that was a full shoot day that we did with her um and that was a pickup shoot of ours um and that that actually where where aparna comes into play um part of that like was kind of a bit of a rewrite after we had started shooting it was sort of like oh this we, we got to fill this gap here so that's like one of those moments where then months later we actually ended up filming it um and let me ask you just because i think this might be useful for listeners when you went to out to get her she's you know a person i don't know if everyone knows her name but probably everyone would recognize her as someone yeah. they've they've seen um and yeah definitely in the comedy world do you and, and you didn't know her personally. Do you send her the cut of the movie and say, "Hey, <laughs> this is the missing scene, and we want to put you in here"? You know what? I did. We send her a cut of the movie. I don't remember if we did. I know that we sent. We definitely sent her the pages. We might have sent her the full script, but I don't. I if she read it or not, I don't know. Um, I we we probably did send a cut of the movie because by the time we shot. Oh yeah, yeah, we did. By the time we shot with her, we had already been like a year into the process. So yes, mm-hmm. so, we, so we, why not? Yeah, yeah. So why not? Because when you're doing kind of a you know a lower budget thing, which I, I'm assuming it was kind of oh, lower it was, budget, yeah, just because yeah. you guys were scrappy. Um, then you get to do, you know, like it's hard to make offers because the actors don't know if you're ever going to even finish the movie, you know? Totally. Yeah. And so if you can say, "Hey, the movie's finished. Just we just have the one spot open for you." Yeah then I think you have a much, and especially if they can see it and they're like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, yeah, and that's the thing is like, it was, sure, we 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 had it, we just had like black slugs in like certain moments or whatever, but it's like you could watch our work in progress cut and get a vibe, get a feel for what we were mm-hmm. doing. Um, and so, yeah, that that definitely was very helpful. And that is very helpful in general with like in the indie film world where it's like, if you have anything to show for, it just makes it that much more real for sure. Yeah, we have a, a listener of the podcast, uh, Colin Levy, made a short film, and Jude Law is in it, and he basically oh. made the entire thing and just <laughs> kept this slot open for Jude Law. <laughs> and he's like, hey, all you got to do is show up one day, say this line, this line, this we'll line, and put it in here. Need to meet Incredible. And he's like, okay, come to London, I'll do it. That is a come to London, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is the cool thing, like, in this, in having gone through the process of, like, making indie feature films is like nothing is that out of the question as long as you are approaching it in a realistic way or like you're creatively molding things in a very Mm -hmm. like um low like it's like a very small ask with like low risk for other people they'll do it a clear ask i think is maybe the other thing it's like to the point of like, oh, sending along, a, you know, a, a working cut or whatever. It's like, no, I need you to be in the parts where there yeah. isn't a movie, where, there's, <laughs> right. where you just see the black parts. That's where the script goes. That's where you're yeah. in your hand. You'll be there. We need, we need you to be there on Friday. This is what the movie <laughs> looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. Yeah. 
are you in or are you out? And that's just such yeah. an easier situation than like, hold on, let me crack this open. Like, hold on, I'll Google these guys. Have they done anything yeah. that's worth looking at? Yeah. You know, clean, clear asks, I think is, is kind of the secret. But I, I think what Devin is saying is really important too, that it's like low risk in that, mm-hmm. you know, it, the more famous you are, the higher chance being in a crappy movie will like hurt your career. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. The last um, thing and you if it's a first like time a director. Of, like, OMG. Brad Pitt in this garbage pile. Who, who, you know, who's yeah, blackmailing right. him? What do they have on Brad Pitt to make him get <laughs> in this movie? Yeah. So if you have something to prove to them that you have mm-hmm. a vision, that you're doing something yes. unique, that that's interesting, it's funny, it's hitting the mark. Cool. Yeah. Like, like, sure. like, like the, cool. the difference between like, oh man, I was in this indie movie as a shit show, and like, oh yeah, I'm in a thing in Tribeca next week. Right. Yeah. It, that's yeah it, it's one of those go. things where it's like and if we didn't get into tribeca and we just ended up you know doing an awesome festival run with that's just not nearly as prestigious or whatever it's like no one would also know like that's what makes it low risk sure. where it's like no one it's not gonna no one's gonna hear about it so don't worry uh yeah, yeah. or not no one's gonna hear about it. i shouldn't say that but what i mean is is like it's that's very condescending be- um, it's but not like, going to be news the way they're fearful it could be. Right. right? It's either you yeah. win or you're just fine. You just yeah, you're, yeah. it you don't lose really. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, especially if it's right. a small role. Um, well, but you're not really doing it for the money either. So, like, what are you doing? What are you? Well, you, you have to. There cool. has to be something that attracts. attracts yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The pitch um, is like, oh, this is going to be really cool. Not like it's not going <laughs> to be bad. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's bad who cares <laughs> yeah. final question on West Schlagenhof yeah you know it's premiering at Tribeca yeah. which is coming up like very soon right yeah, we, like next week or no, something our premiere's on Thursday this Thursday uh, June 9th oh yeah dude you are late for your flight you gotta get out of here I'm leaving tomorrow night so this is <laughs> nick, of, nick of time right now your PR people sent us info on the movie they said there's no trailer yet yeah uh, that's intentional what's yeah, tell tell us just a little bit about that. Like, why is that intentional? So that's intentional, and that's something I learned with Keeping Company, having done a festival run last year. I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes on that festival run. I'm still proud of it, but it was like one of those things where you don't. It it does. It's not that helpful to have a trailer or even a poster when you're doing your festival run because that then clutters up the internet and cl- takes up mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities with press releases and stuff like that, that you kind of will lose out on come actual release time because come actual release time, your distributor is going to want most likely going to want a new trailer and, and, and going to want a new poster that aligns with their sales team and what they think is going to be most presentable, you know, a trailer that they can, have a premiere for with some media outlet and then that like the press the press of it all is a big thing too because then come release time you need to still have the opportunity to go to to uh great outlets where you haven't already gone like that haven't already picked it up Mm -hmm. or haven't you haven't already kind of blown that shot exclusive you want the exclusive you want the exclusive clip the exclusive look at the trailer exclusive look at the poster all of that and so so essentially you're you're going to have to redo those two things no matter what. And it's just you're going to have to redo those two two things no matter what and it, you just what's the point of putting them out now where then it can also 
people will, if people see it, that's going to be the first thing in their mind of that movie. You know, you just like wait until it's time for them to actually go see the movie because festivals are much more exclusive anyways, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I had mixed feeling on it because I was thinking about it when your team sent all of this stuff over. There's a part of me that wonders if like a homebrewed trailer that's on like a private Vimeo link. Sure. That's true. Yeah. Like that might, yeah. might be worthwhile. Yeah. That or like here's the scene. Like here's sure. You know, sure. That's true. They we you know what? We have clips that they should have offered up. Um because we have a few press clips. One of them is being released on Wednesday uh, as an exclusive. And it's like a clip that we're like not worried about using now because it's not going to like we would never use it for the release. It's just Mm -hmm. but they should have sent that. They should have sent you guys clips, actually, because we and like the other thing, too, is that's that's no shade on on your team. I think they they probably did. It was more just kind of like as a thought experiment of like because we get pitched all the time. And so, yeah, uh, we like trailers for PR purposes because we just want to know what you're about to talk about. Yeah, just figure it out. Does it look like someone shot it in their apartment? Yeah, just assess. Right, right. Does that look cool? Yeah, like assess like, oh, is this what what sort of film is this? Well, yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, and that's the thing is we did. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I wish we had shared that with you guys. Sorry about that. But yeah, that, well, but you're no, right. But I though. Think Devin, that's it. We're kicking you off. Let's. Uh, we weren't even. <laughs> well, like, into this. You. Uh, no, no. But it, I think it more as just an experiment for for other filmmakers out there. Yes. You know, there there's the. The um, audience at large where mm-hmm. an exclusive is important and all of that. And then there's like a festival audience or press. And those are kind of two different bodies. And I, I wonder if there's a way to kind of split the difference in a way that's that maximizes eyeballs in both departments. That, that actually brings up a great. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, so that brings up a great point because like in, of any festival that you get into, we'll say like, send us your trailer so that we can put it into the trailer we make for the festival. Mm-hmm. And Again, we didn't want to cut a trailer. We didn't either want to spend the time or the money just because it's just been, it's, it's tough. Sure. But, but so what we did do is like we pulled clips that they, we gave to them to use in their trailer, but not mm-hmm. to release the clips as individual clips or anything, but to be like, hey, you can put these in your trailer to like showcase our film yeah. so that it has presence. Right. Almost part of like a press kit. Like exactly. Here's a few exactly. Highlights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, I think filmmakers, like, I do think. I think that is the middle ground where it's like pull clips mm-hmm. that you are some that maybe you're cool to like utilize for like actual press releases and exclusives during a festival run that might help bring eyes to your film. Um, pull, but like pull clips that you're like, don't feel like are like the biggest, best clips you save those for your mm-hmm. release time, but like something that is still a good representation of your film uh, and use that for press time. And also, you know, use those clips for, um, providing to the festival so that they can, you know, yeah. uh, utilize that for their own promotional stuff. But like, otherwise it's like, I, in my opinion, I think there are different, there, there definitely are different strategies, um, that work for every different film. But in my opinion, generally it's like better not to like release some of those bigger assets too soon. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a way also, and this is just me spitballing, if it's something where you can control it entirely, if you're not. Yeah distributing it to the you know there's all those like youtube trailer aggregator sites so you you know don't send it to joe blow or whatever that you know um wherein you can kind of scrub it and pretend that none of it ever happened 
when your distributor does want to you know release it for real basically well yeah and so that that's something i that uh we dealt with on keeping company because we did have a trailer that we had cut and we Mm -hmm. had a poster that we had put together like all on our own because during the festival circuit we were like people you know festivals were asking us really and we were like in our minds we're like yeah we should we didn't have a press team we didn't have like um we didn't have sales agents ahead of time and so we didn't have people saying that we shouldn't do that strategically um but as we were going going further and further down the the line of like the festival run and talking to distributors and stuff like that and we were hearing that people don't love when you do that and all that it was a bummer because it didn't ruin any deals for us or anything like that but it it became this thing where i have had to go on like youtube and flag things to because there are these aggregates that just pull it from like festivals and stuff like that and it's just like oh my god it's everywhere it's attached to our imdb our old trailer and i cannot get get it rid of it yeah and, and, and it sucks IMDb because he is really, really hard to like delete things from adding oh, to is easy. Deleting stuff is, is in certain cases, oh, literally man, impossible. I've been trying to get my birthday off of there for yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 80 years. Yeah, no, I am. I mean that, and that's like part of the thing where I'm like, if someone goes to the, like keeping company is releasing, we have a brand new trailer that our distributor made. But if you go to our IMDb, IMDb page, you're not going to see that trailer. You're going to see our old trailer. That is not nearly as good. And it's a bummer. It's like, That's I can't hard. get rid of it. And so like, for that reason, I'm like, I will never do that again because yeah. you just don't, you want to represent your film as best as you can. And it's kind of an evolving, uh, mm-hmm. it's an evolving thing as you go through the process of like, uh, sort of strate- strategy. You kind of have to pivot and, and go along with like, which way the wind is blowing as you're, as you're doing the festival run and, and finding out how you're going to be released and all that. So, I don't know. It's it's nice to have a clean slate. Can we talk about financing for West Schlagenau? How did you put the film together? So that is a great question. So again, we started writing that movie. Our goal with the movie was we're going to open up a couple credit cards, get a small crew together, get in a van, shoot this movie as Mm -hmm. we're driving to Idaho to West and then shoot in Idaho with West and all that. That's what we were going to do. Because it is a it's a road trip movie. And do you guys have day jobs during this time? Uh, no, at that time, uh, I do now. Parker is a freelance director. I was freelancing at that time too. So that was our plan. And then one of our producers, Trent Anderson, was like, "Hey, I have a friend who's interested in who's actually talked to me recently about uh, investing in looking for cool indie filmmakers to like invest in and." And we were like, his name is Mark Dupont. Yeah, his name's Mark. Yeah. And we were like, oh, really? Um, and do you think he'd be interested? And he's like, I mean, only one way to find out. So we like send him the script and all that. And it was like, we, I mean, we got our first initial funds like pretty much right away. And once we got that, like that wasn't our mentality. We were like, mm-hmm. I, I, cause like we were like, it's COVID times. Like, and also this is such a hard movie to like get people on board with, like creatively, I think, like to understand what we're going to try and do. And like, and he was down and it was, it wasn't like a huge lump sum of cash. It was like, it was like our first 10 K mm-hmm. and, but, but the fact that we were getting $10,000, that's when we looked at each other and we go, okay, let's use this. Okay, to, we have to let's leverage that. this with, to get more money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we did that. And that process was, 
very much. Um, Are you comfortable throwing out uh, a range or any sort of number in terms of just mostly just for people to understand? Sure. Yeah. Of, of where our final budget was. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll, I, I don't know if the rest of the team will care if I say. So what I'll say is low six figures. Sure. I mean, you said ultra low budget. Ultra right? low budget. Where we fall, we fall well within the ultra low budget scale, which is up to two hundred fifty thousand. We are we are below that for sure. Great, great. But we are low six figures. Um. So, you know, in a sense, it was a bit of a shoestring budget for the fact that it's sure. not shoestring, but you know, one hundred and one thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, but it's micro budget for sure, and like. So, so we, but by the way, that like that number, that low six figures is like up until up into this moment right now. But like that all came in like piece mm-hmm. by piece. So like we had that first initial like seed funding, and we used it to like we used it to just get us off the ground. And uh, you know, we were we we worked in a very scrappy way. Very, I mean, it was a core crew of seven of us. It was our you know like DP. Uh, Parker and myself and then two other producers an AC and a sound guy it was mm-hmm. like that was our crew you know there were a couple of shoot days where we had bigger crews um, but they were like for very specific scenes but like that was us like that was our yeah. we created a little cell and we just like went out and like stole locations and shot stuff uh, at our houses and everything like that um, but yeah, like we got that initial money and we just used it to leverage, like we went out and talked to other people to just be like, do you know anyone interested in this opportunity? You know, like that's mm-hmm. what I did with keeping company too. me and my team. We, it was a different, we did it a little bit more buttoned up, but like it was just going and knocking on every single door to be like, do you know anyone that's interested? Are you interested? And that was like friends and family, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and not asking for a lot of money. It was like, can we get like, a, you know whatever they're willing to give you know sometimes it was like two thousand dollars which is not nothing it can you can sure. just, you know or but you're, you're not betting the house on two thousand. not betting yeah. the house yeah, yeah yeah so and so it was just yeah and you know and we we pulled in um we just kind of pulled it in together in that in that way um yeah so so that's that's how that worked uh for for west Loggenhof. um it, it really was unexpected but then we just kind of were like I mean, again, we didn't even go to like the whole movie is about us going to Idaho and we have scenes of us in, in Idaho, quote mm-hmm. unquote, Idaho. We shot everything in, in California and in the L.A. area. Right. And we were like in the Salton Sea for like a week. Uh, yeah. So. OK, so tell us about Keeping Company. Was that before or after Schlagenhoff? Keeping Company was first. That was my first film that that started the 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 process of Keeping Company started in 2018 with my friend Josh Wallace, who was the director of the film who I wrote it with. Um, and Josh and I had been writing together for a few years at that point, And we were just kind of at our wits end. We we're like, how do we get anything made? You know, we had both like come up as assistants in the studio world. He had worked for a writer director and, and all that. And we were just like at our wits end. We were like, dude, we're filmmakers. Let's just make a movie. Let's figure it out. So we wrote keeping company to produce it. And we brought together a team. Um, well, initially, we just brought brought in one more producer, Sarah Bowers, who was our first producer, and it was her first feature too. Um, so we were all just hungry in that way. And Sarah, we put together our dra- first draft. We did a budget breakdown. Sarah put together an amazing um, business plan that like broke down like 
the state of the industry and indie filmmate what in like what indie filmmaking looks like right now. This was back in 2018, so so it's like right. crazy how much it's like changed. Blair Witch Project <laughs> yeah, just yeah. made a thousand x the investment. Yeah, like it really was. I mean, that's like Netflix was still buying stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. They're not in like mm-hmm. they that is not a, that is a thing of the past now, you know. So like on that business plan, it was like we're gonna try and get it to Netflix and so like and we weren't just saying that shit. Like we were like we're really gonna try and do that. But like by the time we had actually gotten to the sales phase with keeping company, that was like ancient history. And we we're like, oh god, that a lot has changed. But we put together like an she put together an amazing business plan that just made us seem legit and made it seem uh, like an actual business opportunity because that is that is what it is. Like while it's a really risky business opportunity, film is a business opportunity. So that was something that we were able to like rewire our brains with to be like, mm-hmm. hey, we're not asking people to do us a favor. We're providing them with an opportunity. <laughs> you know, like we right. really like let's not, let's get out of our own way here and at least speak to it as if we deserve this. You know, and. Um, mm-hmm. And and that was like literally that was us knocking on door after door. And again, it, like the approach really wasn't asking people that we knew directly for money, but being like, who do you know that would be interested in this opportunity? And like it helped lead us to a lot of people that a lot of knows, but like people that you know are live you know in different mm-hmm. states that have great marketing jobs and stuff like that that were in genuinely intrigued asked great questions about like the business opportunity and all that. And, and some of those hit, some of those didn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just, that was that one. We went into production with like three quarters of our budget. We did not have our full budget, yet, but we had enough to be like, we're gonna, and, and our whole process, our whole thought process that whole time was like, we're a moving train moving full steam ahead. Just, we just have to put our blinders on and, and people will jump on board um, is, was our, yeah. was our hope. And that was our mindset and it. And that it worked it luckily enough, it worked. Um, so we wrote this, we like, we fundraised for a year with like the, from the time we started writing the script in February, 2018, we had, we were on set by February, 2019. Um, and we shot that for 18 days. And then we had about six pickup days beyond that. Um, but that was a little bit more of a buttoned up production and mm-hmm. a little more traditional in that sense. So it's interesting that you went from something that is a little more traditional into yeah. this kind of looser, yeah. you know, a, a more uh, streamlined we'll say, yeah. uh, of, yeah. of, a, of a crew that has to be conscious in some way. Was that because you were like, well, we're going to max out credit cards and just go for it? Yeah, I mean, and also COVID, like it was, mm-hmm. it was very much. It's a movie of the time, you know. Like, I mean, it takes place. The movie itself takes place during COVID. Like, it's a movie of the time. So, like, we just leaned into what we had been doing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as as young like, filmmakers. We, we better cut this because the Tiger King joke isn't going to get any funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we tried to make sure it was like as evergreen as possible, <laughs> like the jokes and references. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was the, the 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 decision to do it in a scrappy way was was very much because of COVID, mm-hmm. um, because it made it safer in a sense, and it also just had, we also had less money, and it was like. Yeah. And it, and it also it's just that's the type of movie it is. Like it wasn't like with Keeping Company we had like real sets. I mean we were like on location like in mm-hmm. in 
in like actual like houses and, and office spaces and stuff like that. But it was like we had to we we had to actually have a production designer there because it like mattered for the movie. Like we had right. to like really pay attention to those sets. Whereas like with West Schlagenhof is dying, it was like this is a road movie. We're just gonna shoot where we are, we're at you know like not yeah. there wasn't there were a couple of scenes that we were actually on location and like you know had a little bit of set design but it was like it was a scrappy it's a scrappy movie that just like that's how it was made that's what it kind of puts on screen too can you give us real quick the log line for keeping company yeah keeping company is a social satire that follows a fateful chain of events that begin to unravel after two brash insurance salesmen go knocking on the wrong door and find themselves trapped inside of a serial killer's basement. So it's a it's a it's a dark comedy horror comedy that that basically begs the question, can you tell the difference between ruthless corporate salesmen and suburb, vicious suburban serial killers? Um and it's an ensemble piece that just uh is very Cohen-esque. That was a huge inspiration for Josh and I or the Cohen brothers and playing with something that um explores kind of heavy themes with very character-driven comedy um and and playing with an ensemble that like just revolves around a, a chaotic course of events, essentially. Awesome. Yeah. Where did that premiere? Uh <laughs> we premiered uh, virtually at the San Francisco Independent Film Festival, oh, cool. we had we did we went into our festival and that was great. It was it was cool to you know um, get it out there and play it. And then from there we played a ton of great like uh, horror genre festivals all all around the world. Uh, Brussels International Fantastic Fest Film Festival, which is like was on their 40th anniversary. Yeah, it was some really cool festivals that we played uh, throughout the year. Um, But uh, we went into that with like no festival strategy and it was such a learning curve for us that we just hadn't like, and we're so proud of like all the festivals we did play at, but it was such a great learning experience in that way too because like we hadn't really focused in on like the type of film. Like we could have like really Mm -hmm. honed in on like some of the, the big genre festivals and like gunned for a, you know, and whether or not we would have gotten in is another thing, but yeah. I mean, fantastic fest is, it doesn't really get much better than that. Does it? Yeah. Fantastic. And like, um, Fantasia is a big one. There's like, those two are, are great. Sure. So overlook is happening. I think as we speak, overlook's happening right now. Overlook's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 But, but you didn't, ha- you, that wasn't your strategy. You were just like, Oh, we should submit. We should just get it out there. Yeah. We were like, yeah. we submitted to so many festivals and we were like, let's just play it. Well, Cause like, you know, we had also heard like, you know, again, that's just, it's a naive, naivete that, you know, you, you, you learn and you grow from, um, the decisions you make, but it was, someone was like, you just got to get it out there and play at as many festivals as possible and let the companies come to you. And I don't agree with that strategy mm-hmm. whatsoever. We went ahead with that, but like, and again, it was still a really fun festival run, but it was just one of those things where there it is it is its own world and you do kind of have to like try to at least like have the biggest premiere you can have it really does make a difference I think. yeah and then also like you know the mentality of like well let's play everywhere we can means that it's only worth it if someone from the film is attending those festivals so exactly right totally. and that's a lot yeah. of money that's a lot oh, of time yeah, yeah. And so all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute, we're committed to all of these places. And yeah. maybe yeah. I don't want to spend my weekend in, you know, 
Arkansas or wherever. This question might not be fair, but I'm curious if you had to take a guess of which of your two movies that are, you know, premiering this week and coming out this week is going to make a bigger difference in your career as a writer, producer, actor? Um, That's a really great question because they're both very different films, like just tonally. And to some degree, I think the fact that I have a film that I can say is premiered at Tribeca is inevitably going to mean more to some degree. Like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that this movie premiered at Tribeca. But also... At the end of the day, like a lot of movies do premiere at like major film festivals and it's like it only means so much if the film actually becomes a hit, I think, in some mm-hmm. to some to some degree. There are a lot of movies that play Sundance every the every year that no one's heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, there's actually some bad movies I've seen at Sundance. Yeah, I, I think I think like there is this little bit of like a misconception of like mm-hmm. people are like, well, if you get into one of those, your life's gonna change. It's like, well, that's not true. So I, I don't have that expectation, but I think in terms of just overall, just general, it's it's really hard for me to say. I mean, Wes might just open up more doors in that it's it's a little bit more of an audience pleaser. It's a little bit more of a broader mm-hmm. film that I think welcomes more people in, whereas Keeping Company is very specific. It's a little bit more of a niche, niche like cult film that is going to have more genre genre it's yeah and it's it it it's weird it's offbeat and wes is just way more of like this is a comedy that like i think a lot of people will be able to a lot more people will be able to um vibe with right off the bat and that i think maybe might open up more doors for me in that sense Um, yeah i mean i guess my my takeaway and it like the disclaimer is I've not seen either of your movies. I have seen the trailer for keeping company and I've read a lot about, um, Wes Schlagenhoff is dying. I I think on paper keeping company seems like the more commercial movie. It's a horror comedy. It's like intense. It's a thriller. It's got these genre elements. It can premiere it. Fantastic. You know, you could see it playing at a South by, you could see it being a cult hit. You can see even on a low budget, it having a place to live. And on paper, um, Wes Schlagenhoff is like three guys I've never heard of. A <laughs> yeah. really hard title to remember about going on a road trip, like so kind of it's true. puffy chair-esque, like early 2000s era indie film. That seems like the one that like who would even like realize that movie exists. But but uh, and this is kind of like the thing that I've per in my personal work have evolved to figure out after like 15 years in this business yeah. is that everyone, when they start their film journey, they have their favorite filmmakers, the Coen brothers, yeah. Tarantino, Apatow, whatever. And they go out to make a movie that is like that yeah. type of movie. And they try to get the production designer to make awesome sets. And they try to get yeah. the DP to make it look cin- cinematic and super cool. And they try to get the best actors and cast they can get or, you know, or they cast themselves. Yeah. Um, but there's this thing where you are trying to make your movie fit into a genre and then, and it has a bigger budget than Wes Schlagenhoff. And then you make this other movie that's just you and your friends just filming yourselves, right. just being completely original. Like you haven't compared that movie to an, any other really movie or any to. other filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and it was lower budget to you guys care less about how perfect every, you know, um, cut and every scene and every set looks. 
And at the end of the day, that's the movie that premieres at Tribeca. And that's the movie that we have an hour and a half interview and we spend an hour and 10 minutes talking about. And that there's like, I, I think for our listeners, if you're trying to figure out which feature you should make, the cool sci-fi con- conceptual film that's like the next Total Recall or whatever, or the movie about how you and your dad both like lost all your money at the racetrack or whatever, like that the the one that seems less interesting and less commercial on the you know yeah in the beginning might be the one that actually more people will be like oh you and your dad like would go to the racetrack like you know that that there's something about the personal story especially at, on the lower budget that really presents like hey i'm devin das this is who i am this is my personality this i mean obviously you're acting in it too so you have an extra right plus in both movies but i'm guessing that watching Wes Schlagenhoff, I get a better idea of who Devin Das mm-hmm. is than watching Keeping Company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, And again, I, you should watch both movies, everyone that's listening. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying what, you know, one is better than the other, but I'm saying there's something about telling your own story through film that like really draws people in, regardless of the genre and the budget and the stars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pulling from a real place and that's what like makes it so unique and makes it, of a voice in a sense, mm-hmm. whereas like, you know, keeping company can be of a voice of like Josh and I of how we perceive the world and how we want to write about it or whatever. But like you're, what you're saying is like when you, when you pull for, and I'm playing like a full blown character in keeping company, whereas in like West Schlagenhoff, I'm playing a fictionalized version of myself. And, right. and, but what's not fictionalized is the dynamic is the way we speak to each other. It, like it's so natural in that sense. And it feels like you're just kind of with us. and that is that is definitely less traditional and more unique and and i think does stand out more uh on a broader scale for sure it's going to it's going to make people i think perk up more in a, in a, on a broader right. scale right and and ask for you specifically and I'm, my guess is that when you and Josh watch keeping company you think like ooh if we had more money we would have done this 100% um but when you watch west schlagenhof you're like yeah maybe it would be nice to have more days or more thing but like this is singularly us. And so when you, yeah. I think a lot of people think like, oh, if I can make like the small version of Blade Runner, then people <laughs> right. will hire me to make the big right, version of Blade right, Runner. Right. But really, if you make the bizarro, um, who's uh, the Mark Duplass movie where he goes, oh, he uh, builds a time machine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that that Tra- Trevorrow film, um, uh, Safety Not yeah. Guaranteed. Yes. And then and then next thing you know, you're making Jurassic Park. Jurassic World, yeah. <laughs> and maybe your dad's like best friends with Steven Spielberg and all the other things. But yeah. um but <laughs> but it's not it's not your ability to get production value that will get you the meetings yes. for the next movie. It's the fact that you, you stand out are doing something in a way that people haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you break the mold in a way that people are just it's on is that becomes yeah, it's still engaging. Yeah. And, and also to your point too, I'll just real quickly say like, what, like you were saying, like, you know, keeping company in a sense is more traditional because it does fit into like a little bit more of a box. You can comp certain films to it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very, you can comp a lot of films to it because we drew from a lot of inspiration for that. But like to your point, like within the industry for like, for a second, forget about the audience and forget about people outside of who's going to see it or whatever, uh, out in, you know, another state or whatever, but like the commercialism, but like who in the industry, what's going to get people in the industry excited, which is what you're kind Mm -hmm. of touching on here is like, what's going to get them excited 
rather than like how well your numbers do with one movie sure. compared to another, it's like, what's going to get the, and, and I think, you know, it is that thing of like, what's the thing that makes people feel like, Oh, only you could have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think the truth is like those numbers, they only mean so much. If you make a hundred million dollars right. off of your, you know, right. six figure indie movie. Sure. They're very excited about that. But like, $200,000 versus a million dollars, 500. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 And, or, and, or frankly, even $5,000. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, and the, and the only thing that I will say is that like, cause I think also it's hard for people. It takes practice and time to distill and find that thing that is so unique to you, you know, um, no matter however that might come out for any individual uh, filmmaker so at the end of the day bottom line is like just make your movie however you can whatever it is like even if your first movie isn't the one mm-hmm. if you make it it'll help you make the second one in- inevitably like getting one will inevitably help at least with instill that confidence in you knowing that you can do that next one and whatever that next one but and you know what i mean confidence in other people Right. And so, like, and so like people can now like I can it's so weird. It's very surreal, but I can tell people I have two movies. Like it th- that will make people go like, well, that's somebody that can make a movie. <laughs> and to some degree. I'm not saying it's yeah. gonna get me a job handed you to me, but get lucky. It, you made two movies. But it can't hurt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us real quick, do you have another another feature on the uh I don't back burner I, I, front burner? I don't have anything that's like ready to go right now, unfortunately. Or that's like in that's definitely happening. Uh, but I'm working on, I'm working on, uh, features on, on a few different ideas with both Parker, who I did West with and Josh, who I did keeping company with, and I'm writing stuff individually as well. But we're, we're with all of those projects, they're all in that development phase right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't have anything. uh, I don't have my next feature. That's like, feels like it's going to happen, uh, right away. Just yet. Yeah. Is there a place people can follow you to see what yeah what you're up to? Yeah, my uh, my Instagram, uh, which is at Devin P Doss, and that's also the same for my Twitter, actually. D e v i n p d a s. D e v i n p d a s. They can follow me there. They can. I'll post about what I'm working on and uh, probably photos of my dog. Hmm, looks like you uh, are promoting other podcasts on your Instagram. I, I, did, I had one drop today. Yeah. I'll promote Strike this that one. from the Noah. <laughs> Cut all of that plug, please. <laughs> well, yeah. We won't say which one. But. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, you mind hanging out for an unpaid endorsement with us? Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. So it's been a minute since I've endorsed comics or basically anything I've read because I haven't been reading a ton. But I grabbed the Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four Omnibus Volume 1 or just like uh, Hickman's run of Fantastic Four, who, you know, is like a pretty like hard sci-fi writer. He like really takes whatever franchise he's working on to like the just the, the most like whacked out bizarro meta level that you can and he did a run uh, of x-men um like a year or two ago that i just like lost my shit over where it was like literally the mutants had created like uh, a totally different uh continent where they all lived together 
uh, Cyclops oh, yeah. and Wolverine and Jean Grey were in a thruple. They were all mentally connected through like a hive mind. They'd been reincarnated multiple times over. It was just friggin' bonkers. Like oh, truly wow. and like so exciting. Uh, and I endorsed my, that a while ago. So I was like, oh, his Fantastic Four run is pretty famous as well. So I picked it up on Kindle for 40 bucks. And it's been uh, great and so weird. Comics, I feel like in you have had a long history of just like, what's the most psychedelic right. stoner version of sci-fi or like bleeding edge technology? Let's put that right. into a comic book. That's like, you know, Kirby era stuff. And like they've been doing that, like Warren Ellis used to do that stuff. And I think Hickman has kind of taken over that that crown. And so like the Fantastic Four is like a, you know, it's a it's a family drama in a lot of ways. Right. right. In most ways, right. they're the first family of comics of Marvel. But also what if, you know, Reed Richards and Sue Storm's daughter was like a megalomaniac genius who was conspiring with her future self to <laughs> work with Dr. Doom to kill her father, which is an actual plot in that story. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman, maybe just as a general endorsement, but uh, his Fantastic Four Omnibus Volume 1 is what I'm working my way through right now. It's great stuff. Mine's a product, and it's a soda stream. It's really, really good at making bubbles in your water. And <laughs> and I can't, it's undeniable. And I have recently come into being a bubbly water drinker. I never was up until maybe summer of last year. Statistically and, speaking, Americans were not until right, you know, around that right. give or take. Right? But, yeah, that's true. I, I will say I don't like, I'm not like, I don't like, it's not that I don't like, I'll drink a LaCroix, I guess. But like, I don't, I'm not like, I've never gone and bought cases of LaCroix or whatever. But last summer, I don't know who, I honestly don't even know what it's linked to. But But at one point, a bottle of Mountain Valley Spring bubbly water, those green glass bottles, mm-hmm. you know? We, I think I just grabbed one or something. I think I meant to grab a non-bubbly one. And I grabbed a bubbly one. And I don't know. It was just like a moment in time where it's like, that's exactly what I needed or something. And I drank that. And I was like, oh, man, this is good. And I just started buying them like regularly. Very beginning of this year, there was like a shortage of you couldn't, mm-hmm. they were not in stock in any grocery store. And I was kind of losing my shit. I was like, what, where is my bubbly water? And I was going nuts. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm going to take control of this situation. And I did my research on the best carbonators. And I ended up with this one soda stream and uh, I haven't looked back. And it's the best thing in the world. Uh, I have <laughs> endorsed and then unendorsed the bug assault gun uh, before. It's a salt <laughs> gun that you shoot at flies that I ordered and was very excited about. And it if did not you work want your house to be salty and also for there to be... Oh, my <laughs> wife made me throw it away because she kept like, anytime I shot a fly in the room, she's like, you got salt in my wine. I'm like, I yeah. have never even heard of this yeah, weapon. Yeah, salt. Pick it out. It's weird they haven't taken off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what has taken off? The flies after I shoot them with this thing. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Anyway, so two things though, if you have flies in your house, in your backyard, this is an outdoor product. Home Depot sells these disposable fly traps that work amazingly well. Mm. Uh, Matt, now that you have a big yard in a house, uh, I don't know if you have fly issues, but we do potentially because, uh, you know, there's dog poop sometimes in the yard. Um, The other thing that I've bought and it's, I've 
been working on a solution for this for like five years, which is mosquitoes in our backyard. They like mm-hmm. love, love, love me. We have the, these Asian tiger mosquitoes in Silver Lake. Oh, um, yeah. And like I get bit like a hundred times every time I go outside. Supposedly something with my blood type or something. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. But uh, I've gotten all sorts of traps and sprays and everything. And I've actually found one thing that works. You can get an Amazon or REI or whatever. It's called a Thermacell E55 rechargeable mosquito repeller. It works. It's crazy. Don't use it uh, indoors if you have dogs. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we got. Love it. This was great, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening to this, you can go on to Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Vudu, Google Play, I think, and Microsoft and rent Keeping Company. Google Keeping Company and Google will help you out there. And then Weschlagenhof is Dying is playing at uh, Tribeca. You can watch it virtually starting on June 11th if you want. Awesome. Well, congrats. Thanks, guys. Well, if you have any questions about indie filmmaking, if you want to tell us about your experience making films, getting distribution, if you think you should make a trailer for your film festival run, anything, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. You can find us across all social media at justshootitpod. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at SmiteyPileg. And on Instagram, I'm at OKaplan. And you can find me at Mr. Matt across all social media. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. You can check him out at, at Noah Bayshore. Bayshore with a Y on Instagram. Uh, thanks, Noah. And you're listening to uh, music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.